This is the Canty and Carlin Podcast. Hey, let's go do our job, man. NFL Nation Two-A-Day. Time is here! On ESPN Radio. The San Francisco 49ers. Blue 58! Go! This is Nick Wagner covering the 49ers. No surprises in San Francisco as quarterbacks will once again dominate the headlines for the 49ers as they open training camp. Presumptive starter Brock Purdy is still working his way back from offseason elbow surgery. And though there's optimism he will be cleared at some point in camp, it remains to be seen when that will happen. In the meantime, Trey Lance and Sam Darnold will both get work with the starters as they jockey for position on a depth chart that needs clarity heading toward the September 10th opener against Pittsburgh. Countdown to kickoff with NFL Nation Two-A-Days on ESPN Radio. I mean, the old saying in college is when you have two quarterbacks, you really have no no quarterbacks. So when you have three, you really have, I, I don't know what you've got. But in the NFL, that's not necessarily a bad problem. To have this is Kenny and Carlin on ESPN Radio, ESPN App Series XM Channel Lady, alongside Matt Jones. I'm Michael Rossi. You can follow Matt on Twitter, or as I've been calling it, Twix at KY Sports Radio. You can follow me at Mike Rossi. Kenny and Carlin, as always, presented by Progressive Insurance. And Matt, we heard Nick Wagner, our wonderful colleague who covers the 49ers for us there. And it is all about the quarterbacks in San Francisco. I don't know what to make of any of them except for Brock, way better quarterback than a cute story. And we're going to get to that with Teron Davenport later in the show. Purdy. Yeah, I mean, I'm skeptical of Brock Purdy, not because I don't think he can be good. I just like looking at the numbers and saying how often does a seventh round pick become a really great player. Uh, I think there's a little bit of you get figured out some. And he's also in a perfect system. Now, that may make it to where he can work, right? Because he's in a perfect system with, when you talk to people who really know football, like our friend Dan Arlovsky, will say that you couldn't meet with anybody better than Mike Shanahan in this in this scenario. So I, I'm skeptical that he will be what he was in the it, last year. But I'm also excited to watch it because I like the idea that there are guys who can succeed beyond the four or five people scouts tell you can every year. That's happening less and less. Like the Tom Brady stories, I think one time I looked at the 32 starting quarterbacks in the league and some like 27 or 28 of them had been first and second round picks. And it made me think, you know, maybe at least at quarterback, they're decent at this. Brock Purdy is an exception. So I do think he's an interesting story. See, I'll counter that, though, in saying that part of why they're all first or second round picks is because of the overvaluing of the quarterback position in the draft and potentially having a separate board for quarterbacks than for other positions. So you're taking quarterbacks not necessarily where their talent would be in terms of relative to everyone else, but you're taking quarterbacks based off of the fact that they are the most important position on your team. Uh, that said, well, that means they're valued correctly, though, right? I mean, if they're the most important position on that team and you know you have to have one to succeed, then picking them in the first round makes sense. Because Yeah, but if you yeah, get it I wrong, you're getting fired. Yeah, but if I screw up my first-round safety, I might find a sixth-round safety that can play. If I screw up my first-round quarterback, I'm probably not finding a sixth-round quarterback that can play unless I find Brock Purdy, and I think that's maybe. I'm just interested to see because, you know, we could play it. I don't know off the top of my head, but I think it is something crazy 
of the amount of starting quarterbacks in this league that are first and second round picks is like some insane number, 28 of 32 or something. So Brock Purdy really is an exception that I'm intrigued to watch. Yeah, he is. You look at him, you look at guys like Dak Prescott, who has obviously had a ton of success as a fourth-round pick. And then we'll see what happens with Desmond Ritter, the guy I cover in Atlanta. He's a third-round pick his first year as the full-time starter. I believe in Brock Purdy in part because we've seen what he can do, and it wasn't a two-game sample size. It wasn't a three-game stretch. This was legitimately half the season, and every time you waited for him to falter, he but how didn't do you explain this? How do you explain this, though? This is my, my issue with Brock Purdy. Think about how much people ragged on Jimmy G, right? Like, he's not good, he's not good, he's not good. Brock Purdy essentially did the same thing Jimmy G did. Now I'm told that he's amazing after just hearing how Jimmy G was not much. I always thought Jimmy G was underrated, actually. And I actually think Brock Purdy is maybe a little overrated, but I don't understand how I'm supposed to be so excited about the town of Brock Purdy while everybody ran Jimmy G out of town for winning even more than Brock Purdy did. I don't get that. I'll explain it. It's the shiny new thing syndrome, for lack of a better term. I don't know if that's an actual syndrome or not, but we're going to go with it. It's a shiny new thing syndrome where all of a sudden you see the shiny new thing off in the corner and you love that. It's kind of like on dating apps, Matt, Matt Jones. It's why dating is so hard these days because you always have the next thing and you get excited by the next thing instead of That's what you have already. That's the second analogy you've made to dating apps and social media. I do think, Michael, there's something happening with you that I don't know that we're going to be able to decipher here on this show. But the you know, next thing you're going to be telling me about your Raya and how you just matched with a celebrity and I feel like there's something I have going no comment on. on that. I have no comment on that. All right. <laughs> it's something it's something my therapist and I have spent many years working on. But try all right, so then now let, let's get to <laughs> yeah, Trey Lance get, for yeah. a second. So you get Trey Lance on the other side of this. I I don't know what you do if you're Trey Lance. <laughs> like I don't what is the scenario where he plays? Like I, I think Brock Purdy would probably have to be pretty bad for him to play or get hurt. I don't even know if I He'd have to be almost awful for Trey Lance to get in. So I don't know what Trey Lance's future is. Well, even then, if you're not totally sold on Trey Lance, they do have Sam Darnold there. Trey Lance may be the third guy here in San oh, really? Francisco. Really? You think so? Well, if it's Sam I, I Darnold, mean, I think I'm it's possible. I think it's possible. I, I think it might depend on a game-to-game basis. Or starting in the season, it, if you're the Niners, how can you responsibly, with that roster everywhere else, go into the season when – your backup quarterback to a somewhat proven but not proven Brock Purdy would He's be. He's not proven. He's not proven. I said he somewhat proven. I said somewhat proven. good games. He's not proven. Some, I somewhat. That's why I said somewhat. I put the caveat in there. Uh, having Trey Lance, who is incredibly unproven. I that seems irresponsible to me when you have Sam Darnold, who you can know can get you out of a game. It, yeah, it, but it gets, we know that Sam Darnold can't win. At no, least with Brock Purdy and Trey Lance, there's the theory they could. I mean, Sam Darnold has proven he can't win definitively, right? Sure. But my point is, I'm talking about the number two, the guy backing up the starter. If okay. say, 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 say Brock Purdy gets hurt and it's a long-term injury, then maybe Trey Lance becomes your starter and Sam Darnold remains your number two. I'm talking well, about getting you out of the they game. Gave a ton of, they gave up a ton of stuff back in the day to get Trey Lance. Do you think Brock Purdy's success at the end of last year – sort of made it to whatever pressure they felt to play him during the Jimmy G era. They don't feel that now because, I guess, because Brock Purdy is the shiny new toy. I, I, I have to tell you, I just don't get. I mean, now, when Jimmy G started wanting a lot of money, that's a different scenario. But I just don't get. 
I feel like Brock Purdy, when I watch him, is just Jimmy G, not quite as handsome and younger, and yet people are acting like he is something greater than that, and I just don't understand it. Uh, listen, I understand your skepticism. I'm just telling you, I saw a guy who, who had it in him to win, and that was I, that was very exciting to me watching that. But Jimmy and, G yeah, but won. Was, he he did. He did, but the, it's partially the storyline too, right? It's the Mr. Irrelevant portion of it, which is why this year it's going to be harder for Brock Purdy because there's not that storyline anymore. The Mr. Irrelevant thing that will get mentioned every – like it'll be one of two things. If he's great, it's going to be like the 199th pick with Tom Brady for the rest of his yes, career. Yes, of course. If he's not great, you're going to say, okay, that was a heck of a run, and maybe he's more of an average NFL quarterback, and you kind of have to move on from there. And to me, that's why Trey Lance might still be around. I thought they'd move on from Trey Lance in the offseason. I thought they would try and get something for him because that's the thing. We're ta- we've talked about other quarterbacks before. We were talking about Anthony Richardson at the top of the show. Well, Trey Lance doesn't have all that much college experience either. He was better in that experience, but we don't know what Trey Lance is. Well, was he? Ju- I mean, he played he, Division Two. I mean, that's a different. I, you know, I. I guess I would just say I find I think we judge these guys on different scales. I'll give you an example. Let's use Anthony Rich. I know we're getting off the forty nine. Sure. Let's use Anthony Richardson and my guy Will Levis. Anthony Richardson failed. And everything he did. He had two good games in two years, and at times was awful. And he's the third pick, and everybody's telling me he's going to be great. I watched Will Levis play. Has an awesome junior year. Comes back a senior year. Plays well, but gets hurt halfway through the year. And falls down the draft, and people keep telling me, ah, he's nothing. What is the scale I'm measuring to come up with those two things? Go back to Jimmy G and Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy's a winner. He gets it done. Jimmy G went to a Super Bowl and then another NFC Championship game, and that wasn't enough for people. I just don't understand. The, I, the Brock Purdy fascination to me is odd. Now, if he succeeds this year, I'll say they found the gym. I am skeptical. I, I get why you're skeptical. To Getting back to the Jimmy G question with Trey Lance, the problem in a lot of ways for Jimmy G was what they gave up and then how high they drafted Trey Lance. Because, again, yeah. it goes to the shiny new toy. Because Trey Lance was a shiny new toy, and then he kind of got discarded when he got hurt. Brock Purdy became the shiny new toy ahead of Trey Lance. That's kind of been the San Francisco 49er way, because also, why are you drafting Trey Lance where you drafted him if you're not completely in on Jimmy G? And that was, I think, the first kind of sign. Now, we're going to see, too, because Jimmy G is in a pretty good position in terms of knowing the offense and knowing his head coach and knowing the expectations in Las Vegas. Now, but I don't love that. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't love that roster other than Devontae Adams and if they can somehow get Josh Jacobs back. But I, there's a chance for him to put up decent enough numbers to show that it wasn't just the Niners and Kyle Shanahan. I system. think it's this. Look, the 49ers have a Super Bowl winning roster. The one question is the quarterback. And so I studied once who's won Super Bowls. And there are two kinds of people that win Super Bowls. They are either superstars that are going to the Hall of Fame or they are rookies on their way to great careers on a rookie deal. I mean, by rookies, I mean on a rookie deal. First three, four, five years. I don't think Brock Purdy's going to the Hall of Fame. So the question is, is he on the Mahomes rookie quarterback level? He's not Mahomes. But is he on that that level? And I just don't see it. I think he is in a. I think he's just in a situation where he will not be enough to get them over the hump like they want to be. 
I think he can get them to the Super Bowl, though. Now, whether Only they can win the that NFC game. Only because the NFC stinks. Yeah, but that, I can't help that situation for him. But how many you know, teams I, in the NFC do you think could win the Super Bowl? I think it's a lot. I think there's – or not win. Can get mean, there or win it? Oh, make uh, it. Uh, six? Seven? Uh, uh, no, I think I think it's three. Oh, I think it's more than that. I mean, you I do? think it's – Yeah, because I think the le- the it's so weak that you could have an upset team. So, look, Philly and San Francisco are the best. Yeah. And Dallas is second. But would it be crazy to me if Minnesota made it? It wouldn't be crazy to me if they did. Would it be crazy to me if Detroit made it? Wouldn't be crazy. Yeah, that would be that would be because they haven't won a they haven't won a playoff game since 1991. Well, what had Jalen Hurts won before last year? I mean, nothing. That's so, fair. I, I, and and what has Dak Prescott won ever? Nothing. So, I mean, at some point, like somebody's got to make it. Yes, somebody does have to make it. However, the odds would very greatly suggest it ends up being Philly or San Francisco. They are by far the two of the best, the two best teams in the NFC, without question. Now we're talking, we were talking about San Francisco and Philip Rivers. This came out from Kyle Shanahan, and this fascinates me because they were having quarterback issues. That's how Brock Purdy ended up being the starting quarterback, and then Brock Purdy gets hurt, and they Christian McCaffrey took snaps at some point. Their contingency plan for the Super Bowl was Phillip Rivers, Matt. Yeah. Phillip Rivers, who was coaching high think school that football. Been cra- I don't think that would have been crazy. <laughs> I'd be honest with you because, again, that team is so loaded. Having an old guy might have worked. Now, I mean, he was coaching high school football, so it was probably not going to work. <laughs> but it wouldn't have been – I don't know. It wouldn't have been insane. You know, no. Craig is in Michigan. He's yeah. he's a 49ers fan. Am I nuts to be skeptical about Purdy? Hell no. You're right on point. I told everybody like five months ago, six months ago, I'm glad we have him. I'm glad he played well. But the fact of the matter is, I said, do you really think we wouldn't have won the same amount of games if Cooper Rush would have been back there taking snaps? I mean, he was 5-1 and one as a starter. Only loss was to the eventual NFC champions. So, I mean, I hope we got a diamond in the rough. But the fact of the matter is, if you know, if th- somebody thinks he's going to turn out to be the next Tom Brady, that's foolishness. I'm right there with you, man. No doubt about it. To be clear, I didn't say he'd be the next Tom Brady. I just said that if if he became really good, that that he would be comp- it, his Mr. Irrelevant would be the same thing as the 199. That was my point with Tom Brady. I think Brock Purdy, Cooper Rush, even Jimmy G, are just testaments to how good Kyle Shanahan is. I mean, I, that that to me is. I, what I find most fascinating is the NFL is the one league. Well, NBA is like this too. You got to have a superstar, but the NFL is the one league where it's impossible to win without a great quarterback. It seems, but somehow San Francisco with Kyle Shanahan has found a way to maybe not win the big one, but get awful close. And I actually think that's really a testament to how good he is. Well, it's also a testament to how good their defense is too, because the teams yeah. that have made big runs, like Baltimore, when they won the Super Bowl. They did it with, you know. Different Trent time, Gilford, though. Jeff that was, a t- that was before the offensive explosion of recent years. That was when you could still win defense first. I don't think we'll ever see, Michael, another team win the Super Bowl that's defense first. You're going to have to score points. I, yeah. The, 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 those Ravens teams, that's the last of those, wouldn't you think? As a whole, sure. I, I would argue that Eagles team that won the Super Bowl when they had Nick Foles at quarterback, that was – Heavily anchored by their defense. Put a lot of points up in that game, though. They I did. Mean, I, they did, know. for sure. But I'm just saying that, that the strength of that team, once Carson Wentz got hurt, was their defense. 
And, and that really was a large reason why they were at the Super Bowl at that point. Like, it can, I, I still believe it can go both ways, but it's very slanted toward making sure you have an elite-level well, quarterback. Well, let me, let me put it like happen. this. All right, so in the last four years, if you're talking about young quarterbacks that are at the top level, starting with, let's say, the Josh Allen draft, Right. We think Josh Allen is that we think Joe Burrow is that we think Justin Herbert is that maybe we think Trevor Lawrence is that we'll see about Justin Fields, et cetera. Do you think Brock Purdy is in that group? Not yet. So uh, if he's not, then he's not going to win a Super Bowl. <laughs> if he's not in the group with those quarterbacks, then he's not going to win a Super Bowl because that's good. That's the future of the league for the next 10 years. More or less. Yeah, but there's go there's going to be outliers. There will be outliers because there's always there always is an outlier here or there. there but that's many. why they're called outliers, man. Yeah. But, I mean, like, if you're sitting there basing your entire franchise on, maybe I'll get lucky and have a Joe Flacco, Nick Foles year, I think you're asking for – I mean, okay, yes, Joe Flacco won. Yes, Nick Foles won. But think about all the other Joe Flaccos and Nick Foles that lost. <laughs> there was a ton of them. So I just don't think that's how you build the franchise. I would put it like this. In five years, is Brock Purdy the starting quarterback for the 49ers? Ooh, if I, I'm going to hedge toward no. As much as I want to say yes, like it's one of the things my heart says yes, my head says no. So I'm going to go with no because I trust my head. I've been around long enough. Uh, probably not. But there's so many other things that can happen between now and then. We've all seen it. A team, a, a coach. Now, I'm not saying this can happen with Kyle Shanahan because I think Kyle Shanahan's a guy who will be around for a long time, even with maybe a dip or two. But we've seen it. Guys, really great, really high as coaches, one or two bad seasons, and they're gone. Mm-hmm. And so if Kyle Shanahan's not there, yeah, I have a lot more questions about Brock Purdy, but I have a lot it. more questions about the whole roster. Yeah, we might see it in L.A. with Sean McVay after this year, depending on what happens. Yeah, well, who knows? He he, he may he may decide to waltz away toward uh you know hanging out over with us in the media because that was what the rumor was last year, right? He's too handsome though. He shouldn't be allowed to coach. <laughs> oh, I thought you were gonna say you shouldn't be allowed to be on TV. Coaches should be. <laughs> I believe coaches should be ugly. This trend of having all of these handsome coaches, I just don't like it. You shouldn't be that smart, that talented, and that handsome. Shouldn't be allowed. That that sounds that sounds that sounds hurtful. That's I don't know. It's not I, hurtful. I see, I it's a compliment to him. But I mean, all these guys, he's like, you know, I see Sala with the Jets with the chiseled cheekbones. That shouldn't be allowed. Do we? I want my coaches like Belichick in hoodies, being chubby and like barely <laughs> able to walk. That's what I want. I, I think we're entering a new era of coach, Matt. I think we're entering no, the, the like era it. of the coach that takes care of themselves. Yeah, I don't like it. I, I get I why you don't care because it just makes us feel worse about our inability <laughs> exactly. to take care of ourselves exactly. at the same age. It, it, that's just kind of the reality. Well, one person who's hoping he can take care of himself better this year than last would be Russell Wilson. How concerned should we be about him in the present and the future? We'll get to that next. This is Kenny and Carlin on ESPN Radio. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. 
That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This is the Canty and Carlin podcast. Camp to camp. Every rep. Team to team. It's on this field where fortunes are made or lost. Continuing coverage. The countdown to kickoff rolls on. 27 days until the NFL season begins. Yeah, I like football. I like football season and all the things that go with it. The NFL lives here. ESPN Radio. The thing that makes me laugh the most about our camp-to-camp, team-to-team clip is that we have Bill Belichick saying he likes everything about football. He's only been coaching in football for, what, 50 years? You'd hope that he would find some joy in football, even through his sometimes grumpy demeanor. This is Kenny and Carlin on ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. As always, Kenny and Carlin presented by Progressive Insurance alongside Matt Jones. I'm Michael Rothstein, and we're going to go camp to camp, team to team here as we were talking about the 49ers before. Now we're going to shift and go to one of the more intriguing situations in the NFL, which is the Denver Broncos. And to help break things down there, we're going to welcome in Ryan Harris. He's a former offensive lineman for Notre Dame and those Denver Broncos. And he's on the Super Bowl 50 champion Denver Broncos team. Ryan, thanks so much for taking a few minutes today, man. How you doing? Great to talk, brother. Good to talk to you, Michael. And uh, great to join you as always. Absolutely, man. It's great to hear your voice again. So let's start here. What... What's the sense in terms of how Sean Payton's actually been treating Russell Wilson this year versus what we saw, I would say, mostly probably negatively from Nathaniel Hackett last season? Well, the first thing is establishing the role of player and coach. And Coach Payton talked to us and said that he and Russ talk every day about the install, but it's make no mistake, it's Sean Payton's offense. And, and it's an offense that Russell Wilson wants to be a part of. I mean, look, they were – they scored 16.9 points per game last year. And as a coach, Sean Payton averages 27 points per game near that. So it's a drastic difference. And it's something that Russell Wilson knows that he needs to be able to score more points. And it's not just him. It's putting talent around him. And that's one of the things that Sean Payton's also done, starting with the offensive line. It felt like that the fall of Russell Wilson last year was just dramatic. And and not just that – I mean, he had not played at the same level in the last couple of years, but last year was a massive uh, drop-off. All right, so let's say that I'm sitting at home and you want to make the case for why he's going to be substantially better this year beyond having a new coach. What is the case? What is it that would, should make me believe in Russell this season? Number one, he's healthy. There, was a, there were a lot of things health-wise last year that he fought through, to his credit, never complained. Number two, he has better talent around him. He's going to get Javante Williams, someone I think is going to be in the top ten of running backs by the end of the season, provided he stays healthy. And also, as Cortland Sutton, who's responded in the best camp since I've seen his ACL injury at wide receiver two years ago. And then Jerry Judy has hit another level, really can create separation at the receiving position. And then guys, fantasy football owners as well, look out for Greg Dulcich, young guy in his second year out of UCLA. Had some injuries last year which kind of impacted how he could contribute. But he's been a favorite target of Russell Wilson at practice as well. 
And then you go on the other side, you look at the defense. I mean, anytime you get a guy like Frank Clark and hopefully a healthy Randy Gregory, you're going to get the ball more times. And, uh, and that's something that's all going to help Russell Wilson perform at the level we're used to. We're talking to Ryan Harris, former NFL offensive lineman for the Denver Broncos. He won a Super Bowl with them at Super Bowl 50. Ryan, this is, pro- this is a couple weeks old now, but I do want to come back to it because it was kind of a shockwave thing when Sean Payton talks about Nathaniel Hackett and there was, you know codes being broken. You've been in NFL locker rooms. How would an NFL locker room that you were in and you as an NFL player react to that entire situation that we saw not so long ago? Well, if you're on the team of the Broncos, you're thrilled. I mean, what Coach Payton basically did is said, look, you guys made mistakes on the field, and that's on you, but everything that happened Wednesday to Sunday, that's not your fault. So players love that. Players love a fresh start. Players love a coach that has their back. And talking to players on the roster, they just felt that Coach Sean Payton had their back, understood the situation last year, and wasn't going to hold it against them as they went into evaluations for training camp. And that's the best you can hope for as a, as, as a player. And hats off to Coach Payton for doing that. Look, he doesn't need to be friends with Nathaniel Hackett. He doesn't need to be friends with anybody in the NFL. He needs his locker room, and he got his locker room in saying those statements. So no harm, no foul. I like that answer. I agree with that. I didn't understand why everybody was acting like like it was the worst thing in the world that he said. But I will know, I, I will ask you this. So Nathaniel Hackett, I don't know what to think of, of the guy, and it doesn't really matter because he's not in Denver, but if you watched Hard Knocks, it was like a love letter to Nathaniel Hackett and Aaron Rodgers. And then you have the Sean Payton situation. The guys in that locker room, I'm sure they don't want to talk trash about their former coach. But what is the biggest thing you've seen that is the culture difference? Leave aside X's and O's. The culture difference between the way it was last year and this year, and do you think one – is obviously better. The biggest difference is the focus on being a professional. And, and look, it, that's a delicate line to walk, right? I think Nathaniel Hackett did a great job of encouraging people to have their personalities and bring them to work. But you also have to put those personalities aside when you're practicing third down pickup and red zone. And that's been the difference. Just a quick professional look about the team the entire time. I mean, fitness is higher. A bunch of guys lost weight, got stronger. But they understand and are saying things like, well, we're willing to do the work to win, and we, need, we know we need to work to be better. Versus last year, I think they just kind of got caught in the hoopla and watching, the, watching everything on the outside, thinking that it's going to magically produce itself. And you've got to go out there and earn every inch on an NFL field. And this team this year is prepared for that record, for that reality. Whereas last year, I think they were hoping for Russell Wilson to scramble and throw him out of every game. We're talking to Ryan Harris, former NFL offensive lineman, Super Bowl 50 champion. We'll get you maybe out of here on this. And it's a little bit of a flip because you played also at Notre Dame. And there's been so much conversation about realignment. And there's been so much conversation about super conferences. Is this the time, you as a former athlete and now as an analyst, where Notre Dame may be forced to kind of change their stance? Or is this never, ever going to happen? Well, it's only encouraging, I think, the independence. I mean, who's, who understands what team or what conference they're in, right? Uh, Colorado left for the Pac-12, now they're coming back to the Big 12. I mean, you got people flip-flopping left and right. At the end of the day, Notre Dame has eight home games, guys. Eight home games, okay? And they take in all the gate and all the merchandise and all the tickets. And guess what? You're still going to get the highest ratings every year when you play Notre Dame. So teams in the Big Ten, teams in the Big 12, 
uh, teams in the SEC are going to want to play Notre Dame for that draw, especially as networks start to reestablish themselves. But at the end of the day, guys, I think what we're going to start to see are schools dropping sports, and that's something no one wants to see. And unfortunately, that's a reality uh, of the effect of NIL and the effect of this conference consolidation that we're seeing. I'm going to ask you a hard question, and you can feel free because you have to be around the person to, to, to punt if you want. But I always, get the <laughs> sen- I always get the sense that Russell Wilson is a big dork and that part of the problem is – that's okay, I'm a big dork, all right? So, like, I'm not – you know, but I get the sense that a little bit of his difficulties – are that he's just kind of weird and different than everybody else. Am I wrong on that? Listen, people who have over a hundred million dollars in net worth are a little different than everyone else. Right. Okay, I mean, things sound enough. different their whole life sounds different. And you know, it, 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 they say that about Kirk cousins and his shirt, Aaron Rodgers and his, and his darkness retreat. I mean, this is what happens when you play professional football in the NFL and you're a quarterback. It doesn't matter who you, there are people criticizing some of the greatest quarterbacks of all time in the history of the NFL, Joe Montana included, Ben Roethlisberger. But what you learn quickly in the NFL are that guys who have won Super Bowls walk different, sound different, and they frankly don't care what you, how you feel about it at work. They're there to win. You better be too. And I think that's what people see when they see Russell Wilson, an extremely successful player and extremely successful in this era and someone who's made a ton of money. And I don't care who you are. That third, fourth year making twenty five million plus, you're gonna be a little different too, boys. That's great Ryan, stuff. I like that answer. That that is, and you know, that's something I'm never I'm Ryan, I'm never ever gonna know that. So <laughs> thank you for well, thank you for like that, that level that, of depression. Come on, Michael. <laughs> Come on, let's go. I just gotta hang out with you more, my bud. Hey dude, thanks so much there for taking go. the time today. Thanks, guys. Peace. <laughs> That, of course, Ryan he's Harris, the former NFL know, offensive lineman. I didn't know who that was, and he's very good. Like, he's good at the, at this whole thing. I think he could – well, you say he hosts a show in Denver? Is that what he Yeah, says? yeah, he's, he hosts like a show. He hosts well, he a show could, out in Denver. People should listen him. to him. You can follow him at Salams underscore from underscore 68 on Twitter, or as I've been calling it, Twix. Coming up, Dirk, Pow, Tony. They're among the Basketball Hall of Fame inductees next this weekend, and we'll get into that and more next. This is Candy and Carlin on ESPN Radio. This is the Candy and Carlin Podcast. So a couple weeks ago, we had the Baseball Hall of Fame with their inductions. Last weekend, we had the Football Hall of Fame with their inductions. So it's the summer of inductions, as it always seems to be in late July, early August. And this weekend, we've got in Springfield, Massachusetts, the Basketball Hall of Fame induction ceremony. This is Candy Carlin on ESPN Radio alongside Matt Jones. I'm Michael Rothstein. Matt, we were talking about this, and this is one of the more interesting Hall of Fame classes. Now, it's easier to get into the Basketball Hall of Fame than the Football or Baseball Hall of Fame, in my opinion. Uh, Much, much easier. But this class is intriguing, and it's because of this. You've got Dirk, you've got Pau Gasol, and you've got Tony Parker all going in the same year. That is quite intriguing in terms of what they meant to this current NBA, no? I think so. I mean, I think, you know, look, there have been great international players before these guys. You know, there you had, going back to... Arvidas Sabonis and Vladi Divac and uh, Stojakovic and, and, you know, just name them going all the way through his Petrovic. But I think with the Nowitzki, Parker, Paul Gasol group, 
that's the first group where I think international players got the respect of these guys can be as good as anybody. Now, of course, that's obvious with Giannis and Jokic and Luka. But it wasn't that long ago people didn't really believe that. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that people thought, well, international players are soft. They don't grow up playing. It's also, I think, interesting because it's a group of players that sort of were either came into the league or were very young when the dream team was playing in the Olympics. This was a group of kids that were probably formed a little bit by that group that I do think made basketball a world stage in a way that it was not as much before. So, you know, there's going to be international players getting in the Hall of Fame forever. There have been before. But I do think the Nowitzki-Parker-Gasol is an important group. Nowitzki may be the best international player to play in the NBA, at least to this point. Now, that may change, but I think that's I think this was a transition period that this group really represents. Well, all right, I'm, I'm going to push back on that because I'm pretty sure Steve Nash, yes, he's Canadian. Can, Canada's not the same. Canada's okay. American, Fine. basically. All right, what about Hakeem? Okay, no, I'm not saying there wasn't a couple of great players, but Hakeem played college basketball in America, right? Like he was, he didn't grow up in America, but he still came through the American system of playing basketball. These guys were international players. They came over here and got drafted without any of us seeing them play. Dirk Nowitzki nearly went to college. He actually nearly went to Kentucky, chose not to, decided to enter the draft. At the time, that was a crazy thing. That's why he didn't go in the top five. Same thing with Paul Gasol. Same thing with Tony Parker. They were undervalued because we didn't really value international guys yet. Now, that has completely changed, obviously. You know, Wimby went number one. Nowadays, three of the first seven picks in most drafts are from overseas. But that was not the case when these guys came in the league. And I think they are part of the group of people that sort of erased the skepticism that we had about international basketball. You're right. They are. And it's in part because of this before that group, before them. And you, I think you can throw Manu Ginobili in the, in, in this yeah, for class sure, for sure. uh, as he, well. He, and you can throw Nash in there despite your, he's Canadian. Him being doesn't Canadian. Count. Got it. But before that, it was really one-offs because Yao a lot was a one-off. Hakeem was a young one-off. Matumbo was a one-off. Even a guy like Manute Bull again, was, a, was a one-off guy. All those guys, though, came through the American college system except for uh, Yao. Yao. And yeah. so I don't really think that's the same. And, and even Yao, I think, was drafted after these guys. It's just his career was much shorter. So I, I, there is, I think, a sense with this group. This was late 90s with Dirk. The other guys may have been early 2000, but late 90s with Dirk. And I just think we still thought that basketball really was America and everybody else. Now, soon that changed. We lost in the Olympics in, what was that, 04? You know, there were things that changed that over a period of time. But at this time, we didn't believe it. And I think when you look back on it, you'll say, with Dirk especially, but I think it's also true with Gasol Parker, I think you're right, you'll throw Ginobili in there. They paved the way for a guy like, uh, you know, for a guy like Jokic, to be an MVP, for a guy like Wimby to go first in the draft, even for a guy like Darko. Okay, Darko stunk, but he went first in the draft in part because Dirk Nowitzki was successful, right? Like that was – he. people were willing to give him the chance to be the first pick because Dirk had shown himself to be very good. Yeah, he was the second pick behind LeBron, but yeah <laughs> – 
<laughs> no, I mean, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I don't first, not LeBron. Well, well, think, well LeBron. Thank separate you, category. Doctor. Thank you, Doctor. Reference. Okay, the point <laughs> is still the same. Whether he's the first or the second pick, the the point is still the same, which is that these guys did it, and it's also an amazing class. I mean, the Basketball Hall of Fame lets in everybody. Yeah, I mean, everybody. But they also put in Greg Popovich, who I think is one of the greatest coaches of all time. Becky Hammond, who's one of the greatest coaches, and then college coaches, including Jim Valvano and Gene Cady, who were very good college coaches. So this is, I think, a really good class. I think the Basketball Hall of Fame, it's way too easy to get in, but this group is a special group. They are, and you didn't, we didn't even mention D-Wade. Uh, D-Wade, when you're talking about players, might be right there with Dirk as the best guy overall as a player in this class. Like, I mean, D-Wade is fantastic. So there's a whole bunch of guys also from our neck of the woods, Holly Rowe, Mark Spears, both getting into the Hall of Fame as well, which is really exciting for us over at ESPN because of kind of what they have meant to us on air and in their reporting and at least with and with Mark, certainly with his writing. Coming up next, Listen, I'm going to explain. He's actually the number two pick, Matt. Come on, Michael. <laughs> I'm going to explain why the Falcons are interesting to Matt because he doesn't buy it. Thanks for listening to the Canty and Carlin podcast. You can listen to the show live weekdays from 3 to 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio. Plus, you can listen on the ESPN app. Canty and Carlin, the podcast.